Are you guys, uh, you guys all right? Another, ready for another uh, tribal something? That's good. 11 o'clock. Uh, welcome aboard. My name is Derek. If you are new with us, I am the pastor. And uh, so there you have that. We're in the third week of a teaching series through what many people know is the, uh, hold on, time out, time out. I, I, was, I was told I had to make an announcement. So forget about everything I just said. So if you came in the lobby today, which you did, you didn't, didn't just materialize in this room, I know, but if you came through the main doors on the, to your right, they're, they're like the, this Valentine card-making station, which, by the way, like we have finally found, after seven years, we found a use for that triangular space in the lobby. Like, we've been looking at it for seven years. We're like, is it a coat place? Is it a nothing place? Is it a junk place? Is it an art place? Now it's just the thing we're doing in the city at the moment. So for now, uh, like uh, back in Christmas, it was collecting toys. Now we're making Valentine's cards for some people who live in the assisted living center, just literally right through the woods here, uh, back on the corner of Maple and Far, and uh, at the Campbellstone Retirement Center. And our goal is 350 Valentine's cards, and we're over 100 at this point, so right on for that. Um, So when you leave today, grab a seat, grab a table, and uh, make one. How did I do on the announcement? Thank you. you. I'm Derek. I'm the pastor. It's good to see you. Uh, We're in this teaching series through a passage that you may know or have known as the passage called the Beatitudes passage, which is just a Latin form of the word blessed. Uh, And it's called that because every one of the eight statements that Jesus makes in this passage, they all begin with the word, what do you think? Blessed, and so we've called this series Blessed. Uh, It's another highly creative title for us. Um, And so we're just moving through each of these eight statements that Jesus makes uh, with the word blessed at the front. Now the thing is, each of these statements that he makes with the word blessed at the front, they're all about this condition of a person or the kind of person uh, that is blessed. And so it kind of forces us into this dialogue about, okay, well, who does God call blessed and who does he see as blessed? And more importantly, Uh, Who are the people through whom God is blessing the world? And so all of these things kind of interact with those questions. And so we're kind of really excited to go through this. They're all, as well, very upside down. It began with, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's sort of an odd thing to say. Last week, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So just sort of very, very strange things. And today's is quite upside down as well, so we'll talk about what that means. Um, I want to show you this picture in just a second. Like, this came in really late, like as in yesterday, and I saw it, and I just thought, i got to use this just because, if anything, it's really, really funny. I don't even know who this guy is, Somebody just retweeted him, and I was like, this, I actually rarely ever actually LOL, but I did uh, when I saw this, and then I sent it out to like 25 people. I was like, this is so, this is so funny. But uh, I know who this is, Sammy Rhodes, I don't know who it is, but uh, it says, uh, Cars should have two horns, one that says, hey guys, and another that says, I will end you. <laughs> Anybody agree with that? Like, it would be nice to have the different, like, hey guys, and then you're, this is it for you, like that kind of horn. But, and if you live here in Atlanta, like, does anybody have a problem with the horn? Anybody do that? You're lying. Okay. Uh, <laughs> luckily, I walk most places, so I don't have to deal with that, but I do hear them a lot. Um, but so, I just thought that was funny. I don't know if you like that or not, but it kind of goes with a little bit of what we're going to talk about today. Actually, a lot of what we're going to talk about today, and it's the statement that Jesus makes in this passage, and uh, this, it goes like this. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. 
So we're going to say that together. It's on the screen. Quite easy. Here we go. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That is the question, is it not? Who gets the earth? Isn't that the question? Like, who gets the earth? Who gets the earth? Who are the people that get the earth? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That's good to know because I want to know who gets the earth. Who is it that acquires the earth? And if the answer to that question lies in the world around us, then it's pretty easy who gets the earth. We already know. It's the strong, it's the fastest, the educated, the influential, the beautiful, the rich, the fortunate. It's uh, the ones who get there first. It's the morning people. They get the earth. Are you with me? They get the earth. Who gets the earth? Jesus said the meek are the ones who get the earth. The meek inherit the earth. What does that even mean? Like, bless the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And what does that have to do with us. What is he talking about? Well, the word meek itself is this. You'll see it on the screen. The Greek is praus. Say the word praus. This is the meek. And I've just given you a general definition here, but it's essentially, it generally refers to someone who is gentle and to the self-control that it takes to be gentle. And particularly in the face of conflict and struggle. So this is really the meat of it here. I mean, you could go home at this point, but please don't, that would be rude. But this is the heart of it. A meek person is someone who is gentle, but not just like that, you know, that's who they are, but in the face of struggle and conflict, there's a gentleness which is fueled by this kind of self-control to maintain that gentleness. The meek sort of live between or right in the middle of the extremes. So the meek have this sense of control And when you're in the face of struggle and conflict, that's like where you want to lose control. And that's where we often lose control, is it not? And the first thing that we lose control with, typically, when we're in conflict or we feel threatened, is what we say. And so what we say, typically, is the first thing that indicates that, ah, we're losing control. Are you with me on that? Okay, so you know know what we're talking about. Now, for the audience at the time, when Jesus said these words, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. They heard this differently than we do. Like, we hear that. We see it on the screen, and we think, oh, it's a cute statement, a little isolated thing Jesus said about the gentle people, the meek and the mild, right? And they, they get the earth. What a great promise, right? But they heard it very differently than we do, particularly if they were Jewish listeners. They're hearing it very differently. They're hearing it through the lens of not what Jesus is saying, but what Jesus is quoting. This isn't original to Jesus, This isn't something he just, you know, it's not some riff he pulled out in the middle of a teaching like, oh, this will be good. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. He's quoting Psalm 37. Now, let me read you parts of this. It's a long psalm. But the first part goes like this. Refrain from your anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to what? Evil. So the first part here is just simply this. If you are attentive to your anger, if that's going to get the best of you, then that's only going to lead to evil, this kind of nice word for here comes the behavior that follows my anger. There's going to be all kinds of things that happen if I give too much attention to my anger. So the psalm simply says refrain from that. Don't don't let that fester. Don't let it grow. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off. Sort of a cryptic promise here from God. Like, in other words, evil at one point in, in the future will no longer be. But those who wait on the Lord 
shall what? Inherit the land. Okay, that's the first part. Now, Psalm 37 is essentially this psalm that uh, has instructions from God to those who are quite perplexed by the incongruence of faith and hope and everyday struggles. Like, it's not working out. In other words, they're particularly frustrated with the apparent slowness of God to act in our deepest need. And so you have this entire psalm, it's very long, but this entire psalm is just speaking to those people who are stuck, waiting on God, and he's not, he's not doing anything. And they're frustrated because all the things that are happening around him, they're evil, they're terrible, and they're frustrating. The meek actually are not people who aren't angry. They're actually really angry, and they're really frustrated, but it's their response that's different. Now, the next two verses, uh, check this out. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more, the psalm says. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. Again, a promise that one day it's gone. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. So the setting, again, is on waiting on God, which can be hard because God is pretty slow. I mean, eternity is like totally not on our timetable. And he's very patient and slow. But there's this other piece in here too, that, and we can't miss it, and it's simply this, that God reminds the reader and the listener that the world won't always operate like it is. And so that's what's laced in this psalm. Like, I know it's a struggle. I know that you want to react. I know that you want to gain ground. I know that you want to take control of the situation, particularly when it comes to injustice or just everyday things that are struggles for you. But the psalm just says, don't do that. Refrain from that, particularly if you're angry. The New Testament writings, there's a verse that says, in your anger, do not sin. So it's not about not being angry. Be angry all you want, <laughs> like, but don't, don't, let, don't attend to it. Don't let it take control of who you are. And so when Jesus said these words, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth, the crowds of people, and particularly his disciples, they were living in a land, they were living on an earth that Rome took, that Rome had, that Rome had not inherited, but they had taken it. It wasn't theirs, they just expanded themselves across the known world. I mean, it took a year to cross the empire by foot. This is, a, this is a big deal. And all of it was taken as it works out in history. It wasn't given to them, but they took it by great force, which is what you do when you are afraid that you will lose if you don't take the chance. But Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Essentially, the meek do not take. They inherit. Now look at that. This is very different. When the world takes rather than inherits, it's a totally different paradigm. But Jesus says the meek, they don't take, they inherit. What does that mean? It's actually quite an interesting sort of subversive, like, ah, see what you did there. Like, the meek sort of know what they have coming to them. The meek know, they know who wins. The meek know the ending. The meek don't fret present day circumstances because they understand what the end, the end game is. They get that. 
and this inheritance, this promise that God will make all things right, that's what they inherit. That's what the whole world inherits. And so the meek, like, they're very patient to, you know, react and to overreact. Again, they live in the middle. They don't enjoy the extremes, although they want to go there, but they don't. They have this self-control, and they're gentle about that. The meek don't take, they inherit. So the message, again, is pretty subversive. And it's that the meek are not to grow impatient and take things because they're afraid they might lose them, but to trust in God and His timing in all things and to display that trust in God through a great sense of control and patience in our relationships. And particularly, I think today, what we want to talk about is just in how we talk, right? Because I don't think any of us are in fistfights over things, at least not much. I hope not. If you are, I'd love to meet you, actually. But, uh, I mean, this church has got some interesting people in it, so, I mean, you never know. I mean, maybe you guys are just street fighters. I don't know. But uh, there might be a fight club in here. That would be actually really cool. But... Uh, <laughs> It's the newest thing downtown, but, um, but you know what I'm saying, like the thing, the thing where we lose it the most, the thing where we feel like we've got to take ground as quick as possible is how we react in our speech. Now, this sermon is really just for me, but you can come along, right? Because I'm terrible at this. I always like to win the conversation. That's why I'm a preacher. You can't talk back. Like I'm just... <laughs> I'm going to win this, right? I'm going to get the last word in. I'm going to go too long because I just came up with a better last line that you can leave with. Like, that's who I am. And if you come at me and say, you know, well, the, if, I don't know, if we're arguing about something, like, I like that. I like a good fight. It's not a problem for me. Uh, you know, I don't want to go any further than that. But <laughs> So this is... When I was writing this, I mean, the writing process for this message really was the prayer for me. Like, the whole thing was like, just kind of, okay, I'm being confronted with the Word of God in my own life and just like the need to take control of any relational situation with my words and what I say. Like, I'm sure you can relate, but this is really a struggle for me and always has been. And think about it this way. When you feel like you're about to lose, Jesus is saying that the meek... They don't react as though they are. They don't react as though they think, if I don't react, I'm going to lose this. In other words, don't feel the need to assert yourself in every circumstance because you're afraid that if you don't, you'll lose out. Now, for those of you who aren't Christians, you can just sort of enjoy this today. Um, Although I think that if you did some of these things I'll talk about, you'll see a great change in a lot of places in your life. But for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, this is a really tough it's a tough text because I think Jesus is calling us to something that we're not all that comfortable with, and that is to let things go and to let things lie and to not worry about it and to have an honest view of ourselves because a part of what being meek means is that it means I have a good view of self. Some people are not self-aware. I love these people, but they're hysterical. They make me laugh, and I'm like, it's just so awesome. They have no idea that they're so annoying. But, uh, but, but, but a meek person is very, very self-aware, particularly when it comes to their faults, right? Uh, John Stott, theologian, writer, uh, he died a couple years ago, pastor of All Souls Church in London. Look at him. 
I mean, doesn't he just look nice? I mean, the eyes, they're just like, come have tea with me. We'll just talk about things with a British accent, and it'll just be great. Like, this, this picture, like, you can Google him, you look at all the images, they all look like this. Even when he's in debate, he just looks so nice. And to hear him speak, uh, and to watch him speak, and to read his writings, it's like, you just want to, this is a guy you want to hang out with. This is a guy who's just so under control and gentle, and the picture should show that. But check out what he says. I, I throw this picture up there because you've got, you got to see this. He says, I myself am quite happy to recite the general confession in church and call myself a miserable sinner. It causes me no great problem. I can take it in my own stride. So the first thing you see here is that, like, you know, in his church tradition, they say this certain confession, and part of that is to call yourself a miserable sinner. But he says, I don't have a problem with that because that's what I am. Next slide. But let somebody else come up to me after church and call me a miserable sinner, and I want to punch him in the nose. <laughs> go, go back to the picture. <laughs> Isn't that great? Like, because he says that, like, the first, the first slide, you're like, yeah, of course you would say that. But you feel so redeemed by the next slide, like, thank you that you want to punch somebody in the nose. Like, because has anybody ever wanted to do that? Okay, good. Not just me. All right. Uh, but he goes on to say this. In other words, I'm not prepared to allow other people to think or speak of me what I have just acknowledged before God that I am. There's a basic hypocrisy here, and there always is when meekness is absent. In other words, I'm totally fine with assessing myself, but if you come to me and give me the same assessment, I don't like that. It's going down. Even though what they're saying is true. This is why comedians who are so over the top and across the line, it's why they still have jobs. Because this, have you ever said this? You're watching somebody on stage and you think, gosh, I can't believe you said that. But it's true. We all do think that. And I can't believe he or she just said that, but that is true. I think that too. And maybe somebody you know who's like that and they know they're like that, they just say, hey, I just say what everybody's thinking. I mean, we like that character trait, but we don't like it when it comes back to us. I mean, Stotch just saying, I get it. Like, I, there's a long list of things that I wish were better about me, but don't you tell me that same list. And then he goes on to say, that's what happens when meekness isn't present, when it's absent. James, the brother of Jesus, said these words in his letter, let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Just look at that. I mean, that one verse right there on the screen is in stark contrast of the ways of our culture, is it not? Everything about this one verse is on the opposite side of how we behave in almost all of our relationships. We're normally slow to listen, very quick to speak, and very quick to become angry, right? And here's James saying, actually the command works this way. Be very quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry angry. Blake McCoskey is the uh, founder of Tom Shoes. Anybody own a pair? It's a great company. It's one of the first one-for-one -one companies where you buy a pair of shoes from them, and then they give a pair of shoes away to someone in need, right? And they've been around for a while, and um, at, to date, they've given away uh, 10 million pairs of shoes in over 60 different countries. 
It's a pretty amazing idea. And a lot of other companies are following suit and doing a lot of things like that uh, as well. And you've got to think about, here's a guy who's devoted himself and his team and his, his dreams, his designs to helping people who don't have shoes. And footwear, I mean, that's kind of a big deal. You know, if you don't have shoes, then it, a lot of other things could happen to you. And so they've invested their money, their design work, their, just their whole campaign, their whole promotional. I mean, it's all about giving things away. And that's been fine until they've hit this 10 million mark, 60 different countries. Now they're getting criticism. And it's coming from, as it always does, it's coming from the universities and the academics and the professors who have probably never given shoes away, but they have, see, here I go. See, this is why I need this sermon. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, they got all the answers, but, you know. But the criticism is coming at Tom's very quickly and in great quantity about this is not actually alleviating poverty. In fact, it's quite offensive to the efforts of those who actually try and alleviate poverty. That's the main criticism. Now, how would you react? I mean, you've given your whole life to this dream, maybe even this calling to help people. It was so simple, like, you know what we could do? We could design cool shoes, and when people buy them, we give a pair away. That's so cool. That would be so great to do. And you do that, and it explodes, and you've been able to say, gosh, 10 million people have gotten shoes. I mean, your staff meeting is so exciting. It's like, hey, guys, we hit the 10 million mark. Here's some pictures from the countries. Here's all the kids playing with shoes. How do you not feel good about that? And then here come the news reports like it's ter- it's, the, the company is doing a terrible thing. What they're doing is not working. It's offensive to the process of actually alleviating poverty. The criticism essentially was giving shoes away doesn't do anything but creating jobs. That's what helps alleviate poverty. So how do you react? How would you react to the criticism, the news reports, and so on? Well, this is what Blake says. If you're really serious about poverty alleviation, our critics said, then you need to create jobs. And at first I took that personally But then I realized they were, what? Right. Now, he has at his disposal, I mean, if it were me, I read that article, I don't even know who this professor is, uh, but I go into into my shop the next day, the shop, (laughs) I go into the corporation, I call a staff meeting, and I start putting people in motion. Hey, I need all the stats on people we've helped, okay? I need all the graphs, all the pictures, all the stories, all the testimonials of ways that we actually are helping people, and I'm going to justify our efforts. You would do that too. And he says, at first I took that personally, but then I realized they were right. Which that's almost offensive to us, because that's not what you do. You throw back. And then he says, but using our model to create jobs, that is the next level. All right? He goes on to say, there really is a lot you can learn from your critics, and you can either try to debate them or fight them, or you can what? Embrace them, and that's what we're trying to do. For the record, Blake is a follower of Christ, and maybe this is at the fore 
of his mind. I mean, this, okay, we could fight back. I mean, we got the videos, we got the testimonies, we got the short films, we got the graphs, we got the, the numbers. Or we can just say, you know what? Maybe they're right. Maybe we haven't been paying attention to the most important thing, and maybe we need to. The rest of that article is great because now they are. They're into this whole job creation thing. I still am with Stott. I mean, like, I want to punch him in the nose. It's hard. It's hard for me. Blake seems like a really nice guy that would never like me, right? I don't know if you're a fan of Donald Miller. I love his writings. But he just published a short article uh, a couple weeks ago called, you'll probably like the title anyway, Why Dramatic People Are Secretly Driving You Crazy. Anybody interested? <laughs> Anybody interested? Anybody have drama people in their life? Drama people don't live in the middle. And that's what the article is about. It's just that he's got these friends in his life. He, he actually doesn't call them friends. These people in his life that they just live in the extremes. Like everything they say is just so extreme. And they never are settled on just the middle ground of just like, just, you know, we live in this world. We're all here. But everything is just overreacting, no self-control over emotions or whatever. And it's all about the nightmare of living with people who are overreactors. And here's a little piece of the article for you. Lots of quotes today. Sorry, but these are good. He says, I can hardly stand to watch the cable news anymore. I have a friend who does little but complain about the direction the country is going and how we're becoming communists and slaves of the government. I don't know if you have friends like this. They're on Facebook, by the way. And uh, he says, I wonder what it is costing his physical health to worry all the time like that. If our taxes get raised, it would cost him about $500 more a year. But what will a heart attack cost him? Or all the relationships, and this is the big one for me, all the relationships he's losing because people get tired of all the bitter tribal banter. Everybody says actions speak louder than words, but I think the tide is turning. I think we've gotten so comfortable in our culture that we don't really care if you're congruent in your speech and your behavior, but speech is outweighing behavior anymore. And Jesus says, blessed are the meek. Those who are comfortable away from the extremes. Those who aren't drama queens and kings about each and every situation. Those who think, you know, those who don't think, if I don't say something, if I don't fight back, then I don't win, I lose. Blessed are those people because they inherit the earth. Years ago, I defriended somebody on Facebook it's not my only one. It's probably once a week. But I had to defriend this guy because I could no longer tell the difference between genuine pain and cries for help and just his propensity to overstate his emotions. He, quote unquote, hated everything about his life. So to stop feeling guilty about not following up with him and checking in on him, I dropped him because it was driving me crazy, which means obviously I have too much of a dependence on what somebody's saying in a sentence. But I just, you know, he's, he's alive. Everything's fine, but I don't have to deal with it anymore. <laughs> I check in on him through other ways. Right? Hey, that guy, is he all right? Okay, good. But you know what I'm saying, right? It's just getting harder and harder to tell what people really think and how they truly feel. I mean, I can count the times that I've, you know, for example, I mean, I've had to fall, I, I've responded immediately to people when they've 
texted something or said something or posted something about like life is falling apart and no one seems to care and they're just hoping for some relief and like I follow up on them on that like are you okay and only to find out that what happened was they drove to the DMV and they were closed for the day (laughs) quote the worst day ever it's just too much for me ours is a culture of overstatement and we're overstating the normal experiences in life was it really the worst traffic ever? Was she really the rudest person you've ever met, ever? Was your class that you're taking really the biggest waste of time ever? Is he really the dumbest player to ever wear a uniform? Now you're with me. (laughs) Is he really the most inept coach in all of college football history? Time out. When you lose a championship game, you're not the worst coach (laughs) of all time. If someone is even that person, they didn't make the playoffs. Are you with me? So... If your team loses the top game, I would not say that puts you in the category of the worst. Maybe the unfortunate, but not the worst. Do you really believe that that was your best day? Was that restaurant really the worst place? Was that church really the best church you've ever been to? Were those days really the best? I think that what's happening is that we've grown quite afraid that no one will hear us. And so we can all share our thoughts to so many people now so quickly. And so we post extreme terminology because I think we're we're quite afraid that no one will hear us. And since we rarely receive immediate reinforcement on the things that we post and say and text out, we start to believe that no one is listening, and so we push further toward the extremes. Think about the two words, love and hate. Those two words at one time were very strong and powerful words. So much that Jesus said, if you say you hate your brother, you're in danger of the fires of hell. It's that important. And each one of those words describes this full commitment to a particular emotional stance. They are both the result of much thought and they are slow to show themselves in conversations. At least they should be. But for us, to love and to hate everything so quickly and all at the same time is to drain those words of their power. And one of the results is that For us, we are missing out on the depth of reflection to experience the whole process of thinking things through before we react, the rolling over of things in our mind privately and in silence. We are less pleased with the middle, and it's the extremes we want, and I think it's showing itself more and more in our culture just through the way we react and what we say. And James reminds us, let everyone be quick to listen and slow to speak, and slow to become 
angry. To be slow to speak and quick to listen is to essentially practice meekness. It's interesting. I mean, Jesus says, blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. James is just a little bit of a spinoff of what Jesus said, but Jesus isn't even quoting himself. He's quoting the Psalms. It's all in there. I mean, from cover to cover, the Bible just keeps coming at us with the same sorts of things. And this one right here, like it's all about just being patient and waiting, not feeling like you're losing. It is to think things through and not to strike back so quickly. It's to assume that all of my experiences are do-or-die experiences. That's where meekness begins to weaken. And it is to believe deeply that if, if I'm going to be right, and I always have to be right, then I better state my case. I better get in there and make this thing work. I need to win this. But to be meek is to believe that I don't have to win. Isn't that hard? I don't have to win. And that I can be okay even if I'm losing. Even if I'm right. Now, this doesn't mean if something's going on in your company or in your business or on your team that needs to be addressed and if, if the right way isn't chosen then things go bad. That's not what this is about. This is about when there's something going on in your life where you feel like God is absent, you feel like God's not showing up, and you feel like you've got to take the reins. It's also just the everyday relational things like just the stupid fights that we have and the stupid things that we feel like we've got to win. And the whole practice of meekness in those circumstances can be really, really hard, but the meek are okay with losing at times. The meek are okay with just letting things roll. Notice what James says next. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. See, without immediate judgment and impulsive critique of any and every situation, you know, if I withhold those things, it doesn't mean that I'm falling behind. According to James here, it actually means that I'm pulling ahead, like I'm living the kind of life that God desires. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek don't take, they just wait they inherit. They know what's coming. The Scriptures promise that God is making all things new on His time. And we don't have to take the wheel from Him. The earth, the land, the whole promise of God is not something we take by force. It's something we inherit. And that means that Christians have to be better at waiting this means we can't force it. And it means we can't take it. As Psalm 37 says that Jesus is quoting, it's to those who wait on the Lord. Now, in closing, let me just say this. Uh, I know that, and I said this at the beginning, I know that behavior often says more than our words, but in our world, particularly in our country, there's a real sense that the words of the church and her people are overriding our behaviors. I don't know if you have friends that aren't Christians, but the friends that I have that aren't Christians, the, the conversations are always like, okay, I know that's what you hear, but let me show you what we're doing. Right? For every, thing that you, for every situation that you point out where a Christian or a church has said something, let me try and show you what I don't want to say the real church, but let me show you what the rest of us are doing or trying to do. It doesn't matter. 
It used to be that actions speak louder than words, but I think that that's gone away. I think it's switched. And what the church is now saying is getting a lot more attention than what we're doing. I mean, we've done a lot of great things in the world and continue to do so, but those things are being drowned out by the things that we're saying. And we're kind of loud. And it's not always pleasant. And there's this kind of fear in our country that, at least in the church, that somehow we're losing something. And so we get louder and more judgmental and more condemning. And we draw more lines. And you know what? It just ain't working. Amen? And I think that it's because, and again, I'm not talking to people who aren't Christians, but you can just enjoy this as I beat up my own people, but it's just, we're just at this place, some Christians are just at this place where they feel like, if I don't say something, if I don't state the case, then we lose. And I think the day that the Christian thinks if they don't do something, we lose, they're denying the power of the resurrection. Jesus, it sounds pacifist, it sounds like a passive, sort of passive, pacifist. <laughs> what is the word? Pacifistic. Is that right? It sounds like that. Jesus says, blessed to the meek, those who don't fight back, those who don't feel the need to win. It just sounds like you're going to the slaughter. And then we look at our Lord, we look at the centerpiece of our faith, we look at Jesus who just walked to the cross on his own. Or when he was arrested and Peter cuts the ear off the guard thinking, okay, we'll start the revolution, this ought to be good, we'll just, you know, they they can't arrest him, and Jesus just says, are you serious? Like, this is not how it works. The meek inherit, not the ones with the swords and the tanks and the bigger armies, it's God's kingdom is inherited by those who are meek. The empire of the heavens is not something that we make happen. It is God's to give and we inherit it. But the church feels like if we don't say something, if we don't fight, we lose. And I find that sad because I feel like an empty tomb trumps everything. I feel like a guy who dies on a cross and comes back to life, I feel like that just wins every time. Amen? And so if you just feel like I'm in an environment at work where I'm the only person of faith, let it go. Or if you're in a family that's like, it's very difficult for you to be a follower of Christ, be meek. Or if you're just one of those people who watches the news and you think, there it is. You connect the dots to some little obscure verse in the book of Revelation. You go, well, there it is. That's the end. Give me a call and I'll send you everything in the past 2,000 years where people have said, there it is. Because I got it. Meek. is about waiting on God to do His thing. It is not about Him letting us do His thing. Amen? So, Communion. It's always easy to tie communion in with days like this. I mean, you take the bread, you drink the juice, you're essentially announcing that the world will not always be the way it is. And that God came to earth and He lived and He died and He rose again. And we put all of our faith in that. And so as you take the bread today and drink the juice, remember that. 
If you're new with us, it works this way. The two tables in the front, two in the back, I'll pray. You can make your way to one of those four tables. You can take the bread and the juice there, or you can bring it back to your seat, spend some time in reflection, and then just take it there. It's up to you. But you have some time and some space to do that. I'll pray, and then you're free to move, and then we'll sing a song at the end together. God, thank you for today, and thank you for this teaching that your son gave a reminder of something you said uh, many, many generations before Jesus said it, that the meek inherit the earth. And it's a fantastic phrasing of promise and hope. And um, and God's hard for us. It's hard for us to be in situations where we feel like we're losing ground and we just want to say something. And I guess there are times for that. I guess there are times to make sure the right thing is done. But God, when it comes to this earth, when it comes to your grand design for us, when it comes to what you're doing in your kingdom, God, help us to trust that. And God, in just our everyday interactions, like just help us practice that, just in helping us be people who are much slower to respond particularly if we feel like we're going to lose and God when those people encounter us that don't believe the same things we do and they that we just listen and God for those who live and work in situations that are hostile God give them strength give them strength to be meek, to be under control. God, I pray for this city. I pray for the churches that um, meet along with us in this great city that are just trying to live the Jesus way. And I pray that you help us to be a part of that. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the communion we're about to take. We ask that you bless it and that you bless this time the next few minutes. In your name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.